Employee engagement and employee loyalty are essential to employee retention and high performance. But as a business owner or business leader, how do you earn that loyalty in today's marketplace when employee job hopping seems to be the norm? Today's guest, Scott Love, has the answer. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Scott Love shows managers how to be the boss nobody will leave. Sound too good to be true? Well, he's a professional recruiter. He's worked with corporate CEOs, executives, and international law firm leaders in nearly every major city in the country to help them find the best talent that usually isn't looking. That means he knows firsthand why people want to leave and why they don't. So yes, he has figured out the recipe to the secret sauce of employee loyalty and retention, and he knows how to show business leaders how to be the boss nobody will leave so they can not only improve employee retention, but also attract high achievers. And who doesn't want that? And best of all, Scott has bottled that recipe in an amazing book called Why They Follow, How to Lead with Positive Influence. And in addition to being a published author and professional recruiter, Scott is also a professional keynote speaker who's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Selling Power Magazine, and dozens of business trade journals and newspapers around the world. He's also a graduate of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis. What a treat to have him join us today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Scott. Thank you, Hannah. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here because employee loyalty, (laughs) wow. I mean, who hasn't worked in an environment where it's like, loyalty? You kidding me, right? So Yeah, that's right. That's right. A lot of people have written about employee engagement, but not so much about loyalty. Why did you pick loyalty as your focus instead of engagement? Because I think, what do you want? Do you want people to pay attention and be engaged, or do you want them to work with their heart and their soul? And I think that's the difference. I think it's the difference between a team that is competent and a team that is passionate and excellent and performing at a very high level. And I think that should be the goal of every manager. When they're hiring people, that's what they should look for. They should look for people that have a track record, that have trends, that tell them what's the future going to be? What are you going to be like in the future? Let's look at their past results in terms of their loyalty, in terms of their commitment, in terms of how many friends did they refer to get hired to their company. Well, that's that's a side of loyalty. Uh, so I think it's what every manager should look for in a team, not just, not just retention, not just engagement, but loyalty. And I think retention and engagement, those are good measurements. But really, at the end of the day, you want your people to want to stay there and stay there forever because they love it, because they're very loyal to the team and to the boss. I couldn't agree with you more. The thing is, I get the feeling that a lot of managers and business leaders assume that there is loyalty as just part of the job description. And what's interesting is that Mm -hmm. the way your book is titled, Why They Follow, How to Lead with Positive Influence, it makes me think that you've perhaps seen leaders exert a lot of negative influence. Indeed, I have. And even beyond that, Hannah, in my professional career as a high-stakes headhunter, I've done that for over two decades Uh, I've had tens of thousands of conversations to professionals. I've called them. I've said, this is who I am. This is what I do. I think your profile fits what one of my clients looking for. You're open to hearing about other things. And, you know, and and I've got this 
this uh, model of communication that gets people to trust me quickly, it gets them to open up to me and tell me what is their frustration, what is their disappointment, whatever that pain is that they feel within their organization or not. Or they're going to say, you know, I love it here. I'm not interested. I don't care how good it is. And when people tell me this, Hannah, when they'd say, you know, I love it here. I'm never going to leave. I always say, tell me about that. Because I just have this intense curiosity about that. Why would somebody turn down a better opportunity? And you know what it is? It's because of that loyalty to the boss. One level up. That's all it is. You know, everybody talks about CEO leadership. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. But it's that mid-level to junior level manager that has a few direct reports. It's the loyalty to that direct hire or that, that boss that's right above them, one level up. That is what's going to get people to turn down better opportunities. Well, let's talk about that it factor. What is it that makes people mm-hmm. want to turn down what on the surface appears to be a better offer? A lot of it is, and we can go back to the psychology of human behavior, looking at Abraham Maslow, the American psychologist and consultant who back in the 1960s created the most widely adopted model of human needs. And at the bottom, we've got food, clothing, water, shelter, our survival needs. Above that, we have a need to feel safe. Above that, we have a need to belong to a team, the affiliation. Above that, we have a need to be recognized. And above that, it's to be fulfilled in what we do, self-actualization. And I think it's those top two levels giving people meaning. In other words, telling your team, this is what we're all about. This is our noble goal of how we serve others. And this is how you make a difference. And then also recognizing people for their work. I think at the end of the day, people come to work for themselves. And this is something that I talk about. Whenever I give a speech, I talk about what I call the first cardinal rule of human behavior. And and sometimes I'll tell a story of, of when my son, who's 16, when he was a little guy, I'd say, Dagson, get in the car seat. I'd say, get in the car seat. I can yell and scream, and we're not going to get the desired result. So I figured out a way to get him to go into the car seat in the car. I'd say, Dagson, let's have a race. And he'd look at me. What are we going to race, Daddy? I'd say, let's see if you can get in your car seat before I get to my seat. So I was able to accomplish my goals by harnessing and aligning his own personal intrinsic motivation with my goal. And I think that's what managers need to do. They need to figure out why is it people – come to work every day? What motivates them? And take that and channel that energy in alignment with the organizational goals. If you can do that, you're going to have a loyal team. Well, how often do you find the manager thinking that their team's goals just happen to be their goals? And so whatever turns them on, it should be turning on their team. Yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't work that way a lot of times. People come to work for different reasons. Everybody's motivated by something. And that means that the manager really has to find out just by paying attention, by listening, by observing, by talking with their team, finding out what motivates each, motivates each person differently, and, and looking for opportunities to connect those dots to get people motivated about what they do. What kind of conversations should they have? How do they start that conversation? I think a lot of it is not just coming out and saying, so I'm your boss, what motivates you? But getting to know them and paying attention and looking for certain trends in their, in their behavior and their work patterns, you know, finding out how do they interact with people, seeing what happens when people get recognized for work. Uh, I think recognition to people, Hannah, it's, a, it's an economical solution to, to get people to produce. And it's something we all crave. We want to be recognized. Taking those moments and using those 
to, to show that somebody did a good job in front of their teammates. It, it builds the team together and it, it, and it really strengthens somebody's desire to continue to do well. Uh, one example to kind of answer your question is when I was a naval officer, here, here we were during Operation Desert Storm and Desert Shield. I was on an old Navy minesweeper. It was the smallest, most insignificant ship in the fleet. And at that point in time, our ship had a lot of value because all the mines were in the harbor. We were the next ship to rotate to the fleet, but we couldn't get underway because our sonar was down and it had down, been down for about two months. So Petty Officer Schaefer, he had to spend one more weekend getting the sonar fixed. He'd spent the last six weekends on the ship. Now I could have used my authority and I could have told him this is what you need to do. But instead I knew what motivated him. And I said, let's sit down and talk about this. And I said, let me give you some perspective. You know, the Iraqis have invaded Kuwait get into the harbor because we because of the mines right now we're the most important ship in the fleet we can't get underway for our sea trials because the sonar is down right now you're the most important sailor in the united states navy i need you to spend one more weekend and get that sonar working before monday morning yes sir no complaints at all no hesitation i was able to find out what motivated him just based on my observation because he was a really good sailor and he cared deeply about what he did i was able to align that and get my goals done and get the ship's goals done by harnessing and channeling what motivated him intrinsically. Well, that's a great story and is a terrific example. What about those managers that say the right words, but it still doesn't come across, even like in giving recognition? You know, it's one thing to say, Scott, I am so impressed with the way you handled that client, that deadline. You really not only saved us, but it turned out much better than we ever could have expected versus, oh, Scott, yeah, good job. The words may come across with the same message, but how they're conveyed, there's a lot of of trust that has to be a big part of loyalty. Can you address that a little bit? Absolutely right. If we were to give a survey to a thousand people and we were to ask them, what are the top three elements of a good leader, someone you would follow to the end of the earth, within those top three, trust would be there. And it's not necessarily trust like they're, you're truthful, you're telling the truth. It's trust like they feel safe around you. They know that what you say is actually going to happen. Uh, I think if that's not there, nothing else is going to take place. I've seen organizations, and, and I look for indicators. When I start to, to, to talk to certain people, so, for example, within law firms, when I hear a certain story, because I recruit partners for big law firms in New York and Washington, D.C. That's just my vertical niche. And I, and I hear several partners working in different offices, talking about situations within this firm, I know that, well, that's a result of the leadership at the top. Any sort of problem that you see in an organization usually can be traced up to the top. And I think if somebody just doesn't have that trust level, they're not going to be a good leader. How does somebody do this? How do they grow in their ability to get people to trust them? I think two things that they can do in terms of action steps, one of them is they can get very clear about what their own personal value system is. Because leadership is intensely personal. And Hannah, you've heard people say, oh, it's nothing personal, it's just business. Well, no, not, not so fast. It's all, it's all personal in the workplace. It's not just business. The emotions that people feel at home go to work with them every day. The emotions that they experience at work go home with them every night. So because a leader is living in a glass house, that leader has to get very clear on what his or her personal value system is. So one tactical exercise I have people do is I just say, just take a few minutes and ask yourself this question. If you had all the money in the world, all your relationships are perfect, you had all the time in the world, 
what's truly important to you, what's left over. It's your core values. And you write those down. Second thing is write down your life purpose. What is your purpose on this planet? And get very clear about what it is that you're here to do. What's your work? And it might not have anything to do with business. And what happens is that when a manager does this, they become what I call followable. If you want people to follow you, you've got to become followable. If you don't have that trust, nobody's going to follow you. And I tell you what, people can sense that. They can pick up on that. Not Maybe not within the first day, within a couple of weeks, when they start seeing that a manager is duplicitous. They say something and they don't mean it, or they say that employees are respected, then they hear you talk about other employees or the ruling of the eyes. Those subtle indicators people look at, they pay attention to. And there's something that I call the response ratio, Hannah, that each employee is going to give a response and they will apply that response to their work. And it's going to be on a scale of one to 10. A one will mean I'm just going to do the minimum. They're going to follow your authority because you're the boss. But a 10 means that they're going to give a work effort with their heart and their soul. And that response ratio is based on how that employee feels about the boss. Is the boss followable? If he is or if she is, then yes, the response is going to be a 10. But if the boss isn't, if there's no trust, the response is going to be closer to a one or a two. And all that is within control of the manager. By working on those exercises that I mentioned, by being very deliberate and intentional, and I think also being selfless. Because when, Hannah, you, you, you know this, you've been around, when people go to work every day, they're not going to work for the boss, are they? They're going to work for themselves. And managers have to know that it's not about you, it's about them. So those are, those are just some tactical things I recommend people do to, to really kind of understand these concepts, which are simple concepts. You know, it's easy for us to talk about this, but because of the human experience, because of our own failings, you know, it takes time and it's something you always got to pay attention to and always grow in just to have that level of self-awareness. If a leader doesn't have that, it's going to be very difficult to get people to respond with anything above a one and that response ratio. Well, and that response ratio can also, what can contribute to that is, as you mentioned earlier, the the lack of recognition. Because if people feel that they can get by with 70%, which a lot of these surveys Mm -hmm. say they do, you know, I can put in 70%, mm-hmm. I get paid the same, it doesn't matter, the work gets done. Okay, it's not getting done with that passion, it's not at a 10, but it's getting done, it's, it's good enough. But without yeah, that, that yeah. feedback, that would be a, another reason why people say, why should I knock myself out when nobody seems to care? Yeah, I know. I think people need to know that we have a goal that we need to reach as a team and here, here's an example about this, kind of, kind of going down the line of what you're talking about. I had a chance to interview General Walt Boomer. He was a retired four-star Marine officer, the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps, number two during Operation Desert Storm. And he was a CEO at a company in Connecticut at the time when I met him, and I interviewed him for an article that I wrote. And I asked him, I said, Walt, what's more important, accomplishing the mission or taking care of your people. Because every day when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy, we always learned, take care of your people, take care of your people. But I felt, well, what's the, is there a conflict between taking care of your people and accomplishing the mission? And I asked him this. because so I really wanted to find out somebody at his level, what that person at that level would, would think about. What's, you know, how would that person answer that question? So I asked him that. He said, that's a good question. Let me think about this. Then he said, Scott, it's taking care of your people. As long as you've got the right people in place, 
they will accomplish the mission. And I thought, there's probably about five business lessons that we can take from his answer. Right, Hannah? And one of them is you gotta, got the, you gotta get the right team in place. The other one is the team's gonna do the work. At the end of the day, I think a manager should be invisible. You want the team to say, we did this ourselves. We accomplished this. This is our company. This is what we did. And that's another concept that I call emotional equity. You want your employees to have an emotional stake. You want them to have emotional equity in the team's success. Those are the things that a manager can do to build that loyalty. And that is a hallmark of a thriving company. You know, that's what I hear every day when I talk to professionals that say, I'm never going to leave. I love it here. And th- those, are, those are indicators of a company that's going to outlast and outperform everybody else. Well, it takes a pretty secure, emotionally secure leader in order to really execute on that. Because if somebody is yeah. fearful of a report or feels threatened by a report because they think, oh, that person is smarter than me, that person can, knows more, that I can accomplish more, and they think that their job could be in, uh, in jeopardy, then that sets off a whole other set of dynamics. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And, and I think you're absolutely right. A manager does have, does have to have that self-awareness. And I, I think the secret of success is to hire people smarter than you. <laughs> They're the ones that are going to be doing the work. Hire people that have those resources. Help them succeed on the job. Help them have a long-standing career with your company. You want to be known as someone that can mentor the future leaders of an organization. You want to be known as that person that can help people rise up. That's how you gain political capital within an organization, by being that kind of boss. I agree with you, but it's a lot easier for many people to fall into the command and control trap, if you will. And and even entrepreneurs that are so pressed on time and resources and trying to scale their businesses that it's like, well, you know, do what I say. Yeah, I know. I know. That's right. And that's the challenge. And that's why there are thousands of books that show people how to do this. It's a never ending study. And I think, I think that's just a, an indication of the human condition. Our egos get in the way many times. And that's, that's the ego, the hubris, is going to keep a manager from reaching their full potential. I've seen the hubris of leaders, large international organizations, force people out. The, 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 the egocentric manager is someone that is not going to have that trust level with their employees. When they know that the boss is in it for himself or herself, they're going to be, they're going to hide mistakes. They're not going to be free with information. They're afraid of how they're going to look rather than what's truly in the organization's best interest. I've seen people put self-interest ahead of the company's best interest because of those types of executives, because they just don't trust them. And that's, that's, uh, that's the whole, that's the whole challenge right there. Yeah. I've seen those types of executives too. And it's sad, but you know, unfortunately, there's probably more of them than the enlightened ones. But let's say, for example, right. somebody's looking in the mirror and they go, oh my gosh, Scott is so right. This makes perfect sense. But they're in a culture that promotes command and control, and yet they have a department, they have a team, and maybe they want to go back in there and say, okay, we're going to change things around. Why should their team believe them? Yeah, I think, I think sometimes the team won't. If they see that there's been a pattern of duplicitous behavior, the team isn't going, they're going to be gun shy. 
and that's the point that it becomes demoralizing. If they see that a manager is, you know, here we go again, what are we going to do this time? That's when recruiters call, they get people that are eagerly giving them their resumes. I think, I think it's that trust, that distrust for a manager. That's probably the number one reason why people leave organizations. Whenever, whenever I call into an organization, you know, are you open to hearing about things? Yes, I am. Let me close my door. Tell me about this. <laughs> what's motivating you? Before I tell you about this opportunity, what's keeping you from being completely satisfied there? It's hardly ever about the comp, Hannah. It's hardly ever about the pay or the benefits. It's usually about something to do with the leadership. I don't trust them. I don't feel safe. I've seen people get passed over for all the wrong reasons. I've given ideas that are never heard. Our strategy is off. I've seen that the manager is putting his own career ahead of the company. And I just know what the end game is going to be. Interesting. Very interesting. So what about the employee that has given notice and has another employee come up? Not Not one of their reports. But come up to uh-huh, them uh-huh. and say, take me with you. I don't care where you go. I'll even relocate. Take yeah. me with you. What is it that they're doing yeah. right to inspire that kind of, you know, I'll jump ship with you. I don't care where you're going. I just want to be with you. Right. I think that goes back to the first cardinal rule of human behavior. People are going to do it in their own best interest. When they see somebody that's safe, well, they're going to, they're going to attach themselves to that person because they feel safe. And, and I think that's. Uh, and, and this is something I've seen with a lot of managers, and I'm fortunate enough to have gone to the Naval Academy, and all of my classmates there I've got a lot of respect for. And some of them, you know, one of my best friends, he was on double top secret restriction while he was at the Academy. Nobody knew what he did, you know, but it, it was bad. But he's probably going to be an admiral here in the next few years because he's just such an amazing leader because he's selfless. That's the kind of inspiring leader I think gets people to have followers. Why do they follow? Well, because they're only going to do what's in their own best interest. They need to feel safe. Well, going back to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they feel safe. They feel recognized. They know that their survival needs are going to be taken care of around a leader. And it not, might not necessarily be uh, vertically. It could be just a colleague because there's leaderships at every level within an organization. Sometimes the administrator is the one that has a political capital and sets the tone for the office, even though he or she is not at the top in the organizational chart. There's leaders everywhere. And I think what causes those people to attach themselves to others, it's because they feel safe. They know that they're going to be safe. They're going to go in a direction that's going to get them what they want. And it's, it's about becoming that type of person. It's becoming followable. That's what's going to get you a following. Whether or not you have the title, you're going to get a following. And I'll tell you what, Hannah, when people start talking in an organization, you know, bad news travels faster than good news. It's like that, that single yarn that we're pulling out of that sweater, and eventually the whole thing is going to fall apart. I've seen that in organizations. There was a law firm that fell apart probably seven, eight years ago. I heard about that before it was announced publicly because I was talking to several partners within that law firm. And then at the end of the day, we found out, well, why did it fall apart? Well, because there was some unethical financials that hid some of the mistakes because there wasn't a lot of trust. There was, there's a classic leadership failure within a large, respected global organization. So the ramifications of these things we're talking about can be significant. It's affecting people's lives. It's affecting their livelihood. It's affecting the lifespan of organizations. So the whole goal is to become 
the type of boss that's followable. Look at the organization. What direction is the team going? Look at your team. What motivates them individually? When you communicate to them, this is what we're going to do, tell them how their work makes a difference. This is our organization's value system. This is our vision. This is, this is how we serve our customers or our clients. Because you did this, that helps the team reach its goals. When I was 24, on active duty still, I was an internal organizational development consultant handed at the world's largest naval base in Norfolk, Virginia. And so I was, I was young and I studied Deming management methods and, and it was a progressive management concept. And I would go around to all these different military commands and I would consult to them. I would, and these were military commands. They were active duty commands and also civil service, people that worked for the government. And what's interesting is that the harder people work who are in government service, the more effective they are when they're government in ser- government service, the more their pay stays the same. There's no economic incentive. But I saw these people were truly passionate about what they did. And that got me to really think, why is it? Why are they going to give their all when it doesn't impact? I think that's because they saw that their significance made a difference to the team. And if a manager can communicate that to their team and they can show how their people achieve significance, they're going to get that type of employee loyalty. Making a difference. We all want to make a difference. That's why we're here. Yeah, Otherwise, we'd yeah, just be a potted absolutely. plant in the corner. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Goodness. Goodness. And this is, this is even funny, even in organizations that are in sales, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a salesperson. There's a lot of people I know that are in sales related businesses and it's not about the money. Many times it is, but it's more about the meaning. It's more about the rush that you get by making that contribution that affects people on a personal and an emotional level. That's, I think, what causes people to be truly motivated. Well, that's the spark that ignites entrepreneurship. I mean, people are taking a huge leap of faith, probably not going to be able to pull a salary for months, if not several years, if they're developing something that's really a breakthrough and disruptive in the marketplace. And they do it because they care deeply about their product, their service, about making a difference, making an impact, and helping to make somebody's life a little bit better. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So anyhow, your book why they follow, how Uh to lead with positive influence. We're definitely going to have a link to it on our episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com so people don't have to flip out about writing down the whole title, but definitely why they follow. It's pretty easy to, uh, to remember. Now, if somebody were to read your book, what would be the one thing that you would want them to take away from it? If there was one concept, one idea, they go, yeah, that book Scott Love has, that's, that's what I remember. I think it would be to show that you make a difference even when you don't realize that you are because people are always looking at you. They're always observing and they're always making judgments about what the response ratio is going to be when you give them a directive to do something. There's a story I write about in the book. I remember it was my son's great grandfather was dying in a, in a hospice home in Phoenix and his whole family was there and I was there. And after he passed and he was in his nineties, there was a bittersweet moment in the hospice home. I noticed that it was right next door to a Montessori school. And this is the middle of the morning and the kids yelling and screaming. It was right next door to this Montessori school. They were noisy. And I, my first thought was, how dare they? How dare those teachers let those kids out and be so loud? Don't they know that people are grieving over here? And then I looked at all the windows that were open and I noticed that all the guests that could move, they were sitting outside on their porches watching the children. They just sat there enjoying this moment. And I realized that either through divine intervention or really bad zoning laws, there is this healing symbiotic relationship between these two facilities 
and, and they probably just didn't even know how much healing they were giving to the people in that hospice home. And I think just like managers, we don't even know what sort of an impact we make. Uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday and Christmas holidays, my wife and I were out in Old Town Alexandria near where we live. And I looked two tables over and I realized there was one of my firsties, one of my first class midshipmen when I was a plebe, a freshman. I hadn't seen him since 1986. And I came up to him and I said, is your name Chris Hickey and are you from Portland, Maine? Because <laughs> you had to remember where, you had to learn where your firsties were from. You had to memorize all of those. And he looked at me and said, yes, I was, I was one of your plebes. I was in your squad plebe year. And he and I had dinner about a month ago. And I said, I got to tell you, you made a huge impact in my life professionally. You were a great example. And he told me how much that meant to him. And he didn't even know what sort of an impact he was making because he was a good example of what a military officer should be. It's those small interchanges that we have with people. It's the small conversations. The way people observe, they're making a judgment. And they're holding that, and they're going to response. They're going to reciprocate with that response ratio. Sometimes we don't know what sort of a difference we're making in people's lives. I think by being aware of that and by being self-aware, managing our emotions will make a positive difference for them emotionally. That's how you build that employee loyalty, Anna. I love the way you said that. I, that's really Thank prof you. profound. You know, people in business say, oh, always be marketing. But you know what? It's always be leading because you're leading Absolutely by example, right. whether you're doing it in a good way or a negative way. Uh -huh. But people uh -huh. are watching, people are listening, and they're either inspired or turned off. Absolutely right. There was this large company that brought me in to speak to their whole sales team and all their sales managers. And I was trying to get the, and these were people that were brand new to sales management. And they were facing change because they weren't going to get an income anymore from their sales. They had to get it from sales management. And just teach them. It's not about you. It's about the accomplishment of the goal by leading your team in, in teaching them simple exercises that they can do to foster that sort of leadership. It's, it's exciting to see people take hold of these ideas. It's, it's, a, it's a positive economic impact in organizations when they do. But even beyond that, it gives them meaning at work. And that's what people are looking for. Scott, I want to thank you for your time and for your insights. This has really been a fascinating conversation. And I appreciate that you wrote this book, that you took the time, because a lot of people have ideas for books and then they just don't follow through because it is a commitment. It yeah. does take time to, you know, button seat and and type it out there. So the book, Why They Follow, How to Lead with Positive Influence, link on the episode page. And Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Hannah. It's great being a guest on your podcast. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then.